Welcome one, welcome all. Welcome new players and veterans, murder hobos and role players. Welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. I am, of course, Ryan Howard. How is everyone doing today? That's exactly what I thought. Thank you for answering me. So, uh, we have a great interview today. I got to talk with a, an old friend of mine, Ashley Logan, from my original gaming group for about an hour and a half This is a long interview, so I'm not going to do a rant this week. I'm pretty much just going to lead straight into the interview. I just wanted to do this uh, intro for you guys, mainly for two reasons. One is I have to actually get in the title of the show, because I don't do that in my interviews now. I record these in sections, so I I have to get the title of the show in there somewhere. And uh, two, I've got uh, something that I want to promote for you guys, and this is going to be a a short promotion. Don't worry, this isn't like a second commercial break or anything like that. I have a member of my current gaming group, the one that I DM for, not the one that I play in, who has a Twitch channel that I'd like to point you guys to. Uh, If you are into video games, specifically if you are into horror-themed video games, uh, you need to check out my friend Namira. Her channel is fantastic. It's it's her and her boyfriend Spoonie. They run it. Not that Spoonie, don't worry, if you aren't a fan of Noah Antweiler's. But it is uh, the two of them playing horror video games, uh, Nymph favors a lot of like Silent Hill and Resident Evil type games uh, but they they do other things. Uh, they've streamed uh, I believe it was Link's Awakening one time and uh, this past Friday as I'm recording this they just streamed uh, Mario Maker. So yeah I mean there's there's something for everyone there uh, but mostly it's focused on horror games. Nim is great. Her community's great. She's got a great chat that's always there supporting her. I'm in that chat a lot of times. So again, if you want to shout at me about how much you hated this episode or how much you loved it, you can you can do so on her chat, but I prefer that you actually comment on what she's doing in the game. She also has a Discord server again that I'm active on. So yeah, if if you're looking for another uh, streamer to watch, if you're into horror games, uh, yeah, give Namira a try. That's spelled N-I-M-Y-R-A. You can find her on Twitch as Namira. There's a dog that pops up every now and then if you're into dogs. So yeah, just check her out. She's fantastic. Friend of mine, a player in one of my campaigns. Absolutely give her channel a watch. So without further ado, let's get to this interview that I did with my good friend, Ashley Logan. All right, everyone, as promised, I have a very good friend of mine on the show with me today. Uh, She was in my very first D&D group. She's been a player in one of my games, a fellow player in the famous campaign that Mo ran, and she also DM'd for me twice. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashley Logan. So honored to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, And nice to talk to everyone, I guess. Absolutely. I say it's been too long, but we did just like talk a couple days ago when you guys were having a painting party and I jumped on Discord. Yeah, it was a good way to catch up. Absolutely. I was glad that we were able to do that. Yeah, uh, it's it's nice being able to bridge that gap a little bit, even when people kind of move away. Uh, and just to 
have that presence together. You know, we didn't do a whole lot of talking. We caught up some, but it was nice just to have you there again. Yeah, even though I couldn't be back in you and, and Neil's apartment and sitting at that table with you guys, it, it did feel almost like the old days. It did. It was good. Mm -hmm. Ashley, we are going to start off with the same questions that we start off with everyone. So uh, first and foremost, Ashley, how did you get into D&D and RPGs? Uh, So that's kind of a long question, kind of a long answer. Uh, You guys knew kind of when I started the group, I told you that my family (laughs) is full of nerds. Uh, D&D and RPGs have always been... A pretty large part of my life. I hadn't until I played in Mo's campaign with you guys. I hadn't actually played D&D myself, unless you count D&D online. Uh, I had played a lot of RPGs with my family, and D&D had always kind of been there. Uh, different family members had run campaigns way back in, you know, AD&D and first edition and all that. But uh, it was something that... I had always been around, and then when I finally moved out on my own, I decided to just jump right in. Uh, I will say I feel like my my real start with D&D itself was uh, that first session with you and Mo and David, and it, it was memorable for me. You know, I found online these strangers starting a group near me in the same city. Uh, one of you messaged me, I think it was Mo, just a location, a game shop near me. And I was new to the city. I didn't know any of you. And when I drove out to this game shop, it was in the middle of nowhere on a dark <laughs> side street. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, oh, man, my parents are going to would be so upset if they knew what I was, where I was going. But I walked into the store, I looked to the left and saw you lovely nerds sitting there. And uh, it was kind of all history after that. You know, I knew that I had found a group that I belonged with. I was a little shy at first, but you guys have become some of my lifelong friends. So it was well worth that uncertainty. Yeah, once we finish with these questions, we'll talk a little bit more about Get Some Game. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That was a great place. <laughs> Absolutely. So your first game was 5th edition, that that same game that we, we played with Mo. Yeah, that was my first real D&D game by myself. I mean, first RPGs and MMOs and all that, I mean, I had been raised on that. So, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I kind of always been in the RPG space, but not in the tabletop space. So that was really my first introduction. Now, I know who your first character was, but explain to everyone out there <laughs> your first character. Uh, So my first character, I remember sitting down that first session that I walked in, I I was, like I said, very shy. And I said, I just want to watch and kind of learn a bit about the rules and everything before I jump in. And the next session I had planned on being shy again. And Mo handed me a character sheet and said, nope, we're making you a character. You're playing with us now. And I guess he knew right from the start, too, that I was not leaving this group. So... Put on the spot like that, without any time to plan what I wanted my character to be or anything, I think I asked you guys, well, what class should I play? What would fit in well with the group? And you told me to play a bard. That a bard was a great class in 5th edition, (laughs) a little Mm -hmm. overpowered. (laughs) Um, uh, And I thought, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. The thing about being raised in RPGs the way I was is that I've told you guys I have kind of a roster of characters, and whether I'm playing an MMO or an RPG with a character creator, 
tabletop, anything else, I kind of just pull from this roster a character that fits the theme I'm going for, and that's who I play. And so when you said play a bard, um, the character that came to my mind was Kultarian Aldorn, the half-elf bard. infamous at this point (laughs) but she came to my mind because Kultarian is one of my core characters who is she's impulsive she's kind of childish um she tries to do good but in the end things just get chaotic and I felt like that was a perfect fit to a bard and a perfect thing to throw into your serious group because up to that point I had just seen you and David playing you know, the ranger and the rogue, and it. I realized that it had gone off the rails a little bit before I got there. It was a little crazy, but I thought Kultarian would be a good addition to the mix there. Yeah, this is something that uh, we'll probably have to talk about when, uh, actually both when I bring Mo on the show and when I bring David on the show. Uh, for the longest time, I feel like for maybe even as long as a month, it was just <laughs> me and David. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it was, you had a couple of people around the time I started that had played for maybe a session and then dropped mm-hmm. out or seemed interested but never made a character. Uh, and so I, when Coltarian first joined the game, I did hear quite a few stories of just uh, Piper and Cromwell's <laughs> escapades together. <laughs> and um, and it just got crazier from there. So it was a good basis to the group. Yeah, that's that's the thing about Mo's campaign. I think I might have said this on the podcast. I by the end of it, I was the only original session one character. I think that happens long before the end. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, you had been in from session one because you and Mo basically started this group, and I know David mm. had been there for a long time, but. Um, a lot of us had long-running characters, but mm. none of us had just the knowledge from way back at the start, like Cromwell did. Cromwell mm. would bring up memories, and <laughs> even the even the quote-unquote old timers like Piper and Coltarian are sitting there. I don't remember that Cromwell. <laughs> Uh, and it became inside jokes. It was great. It was also Cromwell, the... I believe when the game started, I had him at 33 years old. By the end of it, he was like 36. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and everyone else was between the ages of 18 and like 25. Yeah, everyone else was much younger than Cromwell. And Coltarian even being a half-elf, you know, she was, I think I started her at like 24 or something, but she was still in the childish mindset of like a younger elf. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I remember at one point, all of you were very surprised to learn that I didn't give her the typical like orphaned backstory or runaway or anything. Um, she had left home, but casually brought up one session. Oh, if we're going west, we can just go to my hometown and, and meet my parents and maybe they'll help us. <laughs> and, um, and so she she still was very much the one of the younger people of the group. And I just remember the rest of the group being shocked that she kind of had that, um, like that family to draw on and everything. Funnily enough, those characters that Mo brought in as Coltarian's family were my family's characters in their respective D&D games. Bringing in, bringing in a little bit of legacy. 
Yeah, I think it's fun to have a little legacy like mm. that. Um, I feel like Cromwell had a little bit of legacy, a little bit of, you know, legendary kind of feel to him because he had been around since the start. And once we started playing your campaign, it really kind of added to the character just to see his whole backstory and meet his family as well. Yeah, Cromwell's becoming my forever NPC because my players now... <laughs> the the funny thing about my game right now, my players are dealing with both Cromwell and Tewin as NPCs. Oh my god, <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, the group in my campaign has not yet run into Tewin as an NPC. Uh, they actually were so scared by what they found in that mountain that they left Tewin outside of that they have not been <laughs> back to the area. <laughs> they have barely been back to that continent. <laughs> so I, you were a bit the voice of reason. Um, but I feel like as a group, they finally met their match. They finally turned and ran from a fight, and they are not going back. <laughs> Ashley, I, I have in my head what I think is your style of play as a dm and a player um but i want to hear how you would describe it that that's uh tough to describe i guess as a player or as a dm what i like to do is i kind of map out the possibilities um i don't i make loose plans you know i don't like to i'm not the type to play a paladin say i'm lawful good and i'm going to get onto you every time you break the rules i'm watching you rogue i'm right here um, I'm more the kind to say, uh, maybe I'll play this character, and depending on how things go, you know, their their character traits, they might change a little bit. Um, so as a player, I like to go in with the mindset um, based on alignment, actually, because alignment used to be a lot more important. I like to go in starting off with a character that's maybe chaotic good or what have you, and throughout the course of the game, based on how they interact with the other players, their alignment might change um, and I always keep the possibilities open of what they could change too but I like to have that dynamic and then as a DM I've realized that that's really part of my style as well with the campaign I have now I gave up on trying to plan out every session and what you would fight and who you would talk to and what quest hooks you would get because our group is very chaotic. Um, <laughs> yeah. And now what I find myself doing is coming up with possibilities, uh, coming up with kind of different timelines and different things. And, you know, if they go over here, then maybe all of this will happen. And uh, it's, it's interesting to just see it blossom out from there. And now it's turned into kind of a whole world that, that feels pretty alive on its own. And I'm pretty proud of that, actually. <laughs> Um, but I worry because of that. As a DM, I worry that there's going to be parts of this world that they never visit, that I thought about, but that they never were interested in, which is fine. And as a player, I worry that no one as a player really interests themselves with other players' backstories often. So even if you, on the flyer, coming up with things to add into your backstory and stuff like that, there's really a very little chance that the other players are going to ask you about it or, or that it's going to get brought up. So it's kind of a style of I, I go with the flow, but there's no telling where it's going to take me. Tracks with what I've observed in, in you as a player and a DM. That's good to know. Now, now I'm curious what you had felt my style was for each. 
What I was going to bring up for uh, for you as a player, and I guess this does apply to your DMing as well, you are a very good role player. I do like to get into character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know I've never been as good at the voices as you and, and Mo have, and I feel like that's one of my failures as a DM and sometimes as a player. Uh, but I do really like to get into character with it. I, mm-hmm. I definitely do not min-max my characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm the type that will choose, you know, a warlock, and then I, I just will decide, and they're bad with charisma. <laughs> um, I don't min-max, but I, I really try to get into the headspace of this character because I feel like from that, they actually they can have some type of dynamic to them. But you... More so than anyone at the table, I feel like, always have a trajectory of sorts in mind for where right. you honestly see your character going. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's how I like to play. And actually, a, a different group that I had played with briefly, um, we were playing Storm's King, Storm King's Thunder. It was only three of us. It was a druid who was fairly neutral, uh, a lawful good paladin of... Bahamut and myself and I was playing a lawful evil wizard Uh, if you've played Storm King's Thunder at all and I didn't get very far we just played the beginning with this group but uh, my character's background was that he was a lawful evil wizard from the Zentarum the black network Uh, and so basically his trajectory he was older at that point and his trajectory was that he was still very much out to serve himself you know his family had been killed you know due to some Zentarum shenanigans and all that and I wanted throughout the campaign for him having traveled with a druid and having traveled with a paladin to slowly start to turn back towards the good side Uh, and I gotta say the reason that I said I go with the flow is because that is not at all what happened with him. I had planned that trajectory uh, and then we got to a a town along the way. There was, we found like a young girl who appeared to be a vampire sleeping in an inn and we cast uh, the druid cast like paralysis or sleep or something on one of the people in the inn with us so that we could escape and the two of them burned down the inn with the vampire inside and also the other man paralyzed on the floor in a burning building still aware by the way (laughs) according to the effects of the spell and that's why even though I like to plan a trajectory for all of my characters it doesn't always happen because at that point this character took a good look at himself took a good look at his party members and realized if that is what good is I don't want it (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Kultarian started off as like a chaotic neutral bard who very much was just trying to be her own person um, and whose motivation was that she she had always been overshadowed by her parents who were well-known adventurers and she wanted to make a name for herself. Now, very much in line with these being my parents' characters who were like level 20, this being my first campaign, I wanted to make my mark on D&D. Uh, and Kultarian's trajectory ended up being due to a certain incident in a mountain involving <laughs> some drow and dwarves. Uh, her trajectory ended up going straight down to lawful evil. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I had not planned for her. I had planned for her maybe to turn towards lawful. I had planned maybe she would turn towards good. Maybe she would realize that she couldn't sustain 
the good that you want to do in the world by being so chaotic and so whimsical and so like uncontrollable. Uh, I did not expect that she would go straight to lawful evil. So it's fun, I think, to have a course plotted out for your characters. If nothing crazy happens along the way, it, it adds some interest to the character and to the story. But you have to be flexible enough to go in a completely different direction with those trajectories. And we will discuss the the events of, of that story a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, it was some heavy stuff there. <laughs> <clears throat> so... And, and don't feel like this is a loaded question at all. It's not. You can answer honestly. What is the most fun game you've ever played or run? That That's tough. <laughs> um, I'm assuming we're, we're talking within the realm of tabletops or within the realm of D&D. Yeah. I'd say for me right now, it's very much a tie between most campaign which I think for a lot of us is kind of the first one. It was crazy. It was long. We were in love with those characters. We were in love with having found this group and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of feels at this point like the golden age or something. <laughs> uh, that, that campaign brought us all together, and that's always going to have a really high place in my heart. Uh, but at the same time, through all the campaigns I've played, there's been Mo's campaign, there's been yours, which was the prequel sequel. There was um, the one I played with the other group, which fell apart. There was the Lord of the Rings campaign that I ran for a brief while with you guys. Uh, there's the one that I'm running now, and there's the one that I'm playing in right now. Between all of those, I really think that I'm having the most fun with the one that I'm currently running, uh, partially just because I feel like as a DM, I've improved a lot since the Lord of the Rings campaign. I feel like I've found my niche and things that I can do well, and I've found some things, I've improved upon some other things that I wasn't doing as well. Um, and I'm I'm really excited to see where the group takes it because I've, I've taken the philosophy of, I have an idea where the story's going, but they could just go off into left field at any moment. And it's it's kind of as fun for me as a DM as I feel like they're having at the table. Absolutely. And that that was a very fun game for the, the brief <laughs> amount of time that I was in it. Yeah, I'm glad you were enjoying it. Uh, we definitely missed you in as a character. Mm. We miss having you as a player at the table. Uh, we've learned two things since you moved. Number one is that your characters were always the voice of reason and kept us in line. <laughs> and oh, num- God. <laughs> number two was that you as a player are the voice of reason and keep us in line. <laughs> uh, because we have found ourselves going completely off the rails. Uh, we found ourselves playing until one in the morning because... Oh God! What is reasonable adult hours? Um, We—it's just—it's gotten crazy. And I mean, who am I to say that that's better or worse? Because we're all having a ton of fun, but Mm -hmm. there are moments when we all kind of sit back and say, "Wow, Ryan or having (laughs) Tewin here really would have brought this in line a bit better. We wouldn't have had to try so hard to uh, work this work through this." Uh, but it's it's been great. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can just imagine on like the the fifth or sixth moment at like one forty five <laughs> in the morning with like Austin and Kyle doing Austin and Kyle things. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
and and Lucas being salty, just like Joe looking up and being like, "Man, what if Ryan were here? What would have happened if Ryan were here?" <laughs> I feel like almost that exact scenario happened a couple sessions ago. <laughs> And uh, so at that point, we uh, we wrapped up the combat and we're like, man, we should all go home and think about this. <laughs> um, but it's it's been getting crazier and crazier, but I think we've been doing pretty well at, at keeping up with the pace and keeping it pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a moment recently where they split the party. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And uh, three of them decided to go onward across a desert on one continent. And the other three decided to go backwards to where they had friends and knew where everything was back to the other continent. So they're a world apart, traversing a desert, no means of communication, no one has sending or anything. And we kind of ended the session there. And the next week we really just picked up and there was this pervasive feeling of, shit, what do we do now? (laughs) Um... We felt like it would not have ever gotten that far if you had been there. And it was, we knew that everyone wanted to bring the group back together. We did not want to split this into, you know, me taking turns, DMing for each group while the others sat bored at the table or us having to split it temporarily onto different days or something so that each group could do their own thing. We wanted a cohesive single group back together And we realized that without you to hold us together, that was easier said than done. (laughs) We did figure it out eventually, but it's, you can tell when there's that kind of glue um, just leaves and we fall apart, you know. Now for this next question, I think I know which answer you're going to give. There's two possibilities, and unfortunately I was DMing for both of them, (laughs) so... Ashley, what's the least fun game you've ever played or run? Uh, I want to know why you think there's only two possibilities for this. Um, and I assume based on what you said that we're including one shots in this. Yes. So <laughs> for me personally, the answer that a lot of people probably won't expect is the Lord of the Rings campaign that I ran. I loved the idea. I'm a huge Tolkien nerd. I, I put so much work into this. I really, really liked the idea of having two groups in the same world who might, you know, interact with each other, who might cause effects in the other's campaign. I was actually running it, you know, with our group and with the other group I was playing with at the time. And I so wanted this to work. And I so wanted this to be a long campaign. And as I got into it, it it started crushing me it was it was so much research first of all and that's fine i love delving into tolkien's books i love delving into all of that and looking at the maps looking at the characters but i was researching everything tolkien i was pulling up you know tidbits from anywhere i could find because this campaign took place in a part of the world that was not showcased in Lord of the Rings. It was not shown in The Hobbit. And so I had to do a lot of digging for it. I had to do a lot of learning um, just about how to DM because it was my first game that I had run. I was trying so hard to keep up with that and to figure that out as I go. And I was trying to balance. I didn't know at the time how to deal with one group that would just go off the rails and do what they wanted, let alone two groups. 
Um, I had quest lines planned out for each group, and I, because I had spent so much time worrying and prepping and everything else, I did not have enough contingencies planned. I, when the other group decided, uh, yeah, fuck all these side quests, we're just going to beeline for the main quest, I did not know what to do. I had so much less fun than I had hoped for because I drowned myself in paperwork for it. And if I had the chance, I probably would want to run a campaign in that style again, but I would do it so differently. And I think it would be a lot more fun if I had known the first time around how to do it. So it was ambitious for my first time DMing. You know, it was ambitious. And when I started the current game that I'm running, I, I did have quite a lot of stress over whether it would be the same or whether I had found a way to improve and whether it would work. So I would say that that first game that I DM'd, that Lord of the Rings game, was the least fun for me. Uh, it was a learning experience, but it just it caused me a lot of stress. Yeah, when you were running that game, um, first of all, we as a party were, were being dicks. <laughs> uh, you were not as bad as my other group at some parts of it, oddly enough. Uh, and your group I had a little more fun with, I will say, but I think that was partially based on just the composition of each group and the people involved with each group. Um, I always had a lot more fun with this particular group. But then the other thing was that that I, I got the sense from kind of watching you run it that you had taken on quite a bit and you, you were taking on this momentous task of not only learning how to DM for the first mm -hmm. time, but trying to work in and stay faithful to Tolkien's world, yeah. but also kind of make it your own. And honestly, that that's a line you have to walk when you're running a game that's set in a different universe that's like in an established universe i had that same thing with yeah. my star wars game yeah which i thought was a contender for your least fun game because <laughs> i know you were exhausted that night yeah it was it was a long night and i mean honestly i i had fun with the game i liked the idea of it but i think you're totally right there is a lot to be said about running a game in a pre-made universe because you don't necessarily have to come up with everything on the spot but <laughs> But when you're the type of player in DM that I am, where you just like to have loose ideas about everything and, and just be able to pull an idea and throw it in there and go and not worry about whether it's faithful to something, it makes a big difference. And that's part of what killed me with that one, I think, really, is that I love Tolkien so much, his works, that I really wanted it to be 100% faithful but as a player in a DM, my style would not allow me to do that. And it, it was definitely a conflict for me. And I do think that I bit off a lot more than I could chew with that game. Um, and so I, at that time, I remember I was kind of so desperate for feedback because I really, really had hoped that I was not killing your fun because I was not having fun myself. Well, what was killing my fun was playing a barbarian. <laughs> I, I learned very quickly in that in that campaign that I don't like playing a barbarian. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, one of the characters in my campaign currently is having that feeling. Um, shout out to Lucas, the salty one. Yep. And I apologize because I should have. I guess when I was creating the characters for this campaign, the premise to start the campaign was I didn't want to start in an inn. I didn't want to 
you know, let you all just be in a mercenaries guild and, and you're thrown together. I wanted it to be a little more momentous. I wanted it to be, what if all of you were adventuring together before you faced the big bad before, uh, and they stole your memories and dumped you in a forest. Now you woke up with all of these marks and you know that all of you are somehow connected. You share some past, but you don't know what that is. And in order to do that, I actually, I gave out questionnaires, kind of. I wanted to know what you wanted in a character. I wanted to know what your backstory was as far as your early life. But from that, from the backstories you gave me and the questions you answered, I created all the characters myself. And for the most part, it went well. I think I had a lot of you pegged in my mind as you liked to play certain roles, you liked to play you had certain play styles and I did okay with a lot of that but there were definitely two players in the group that I feel I utterly failed uh, so David and Lucas <laughs> I apologize because within the first few sh sessions I think it was clear to me that the characters I had created as you learned who they are and what they could do you were not at all happy with them and at that point, there was really no changing the character without giving up on the idea I had had to start this campaign. So I tried a little bit uh, to reconcile it, a little bit of, you know, hey, I'm sorry that you're not having fun with your character. I really would like you to have fun with this game. So how about what we do is, even though you're not happy with, you know, the Divine Soul Sorcerer I chose for you, maybe I'll actually let you choose some of your spells so that you can um, take the character a little more in a direction that you like. Uh, and for the Barbarian, you know, I tried to work with Lucas on it. And what we kind of realized is that based on my own play style, I had given the Barbarian stats that I would have used. But like I mentioned before, I'm not a min-maxer. The stats that I had chosen for this character were not good barbarian stats and because of that uh it was kind of hindering his ability to do some things and so he was he was not having fun as a barbarian as well um and then i learned later on that essentially if i had switched their characters they probably would be having more fun right now <laughs> um so you know guys if you want to trade character sheets i'm okay with that <laughs> Uh, just let me know. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Well, Ashley, next question. And again, I think I know the answer to this. If you could make an RPG system for any universe or bring back an old RPG with a modern rule set, what would it be? Okay, so hear me out. Lord of the Rings Online. It's a really good game. Mm -hmm. Let's take that and uh, just make it into a really good tabletop rpg or maybe not an mmo you know i like mmos i love mmos but i prefer just a single player rpg or maybe a tabletop i would love a good system based on lord of the rings uh but also there are definitely other books that i think would make fantastic systems and worlds to play in um i'm a big fan of series that just span whole universes that do a lot of world building so you know we've already got Dragonlance we've already got that setting I would love one for Lord of the Rings I know there's kind of some out there I, I would like just I think uh, maybe one based more in 5e or one that's a little easier to learn or a little more accessible or well known um, but I also think it would be cool to have some RPGs for some of those lesser known series 
maybe like the Discworld series, or there's there's kind of one for Redwall and Mouse Guard. There's a lot of homebrew out there online um, just for those kind of Redwall-esque series where you play as um, animals, and those are seem like a lot of fun too. Hmm. So I'm open to a lot of things. I just love to see more in-depth uh, kind of world-building for series and systems. I thought for sure you were going to say Redwall. Yeah, Redwall would be a really good one. Um, and they're actually, for a similar taste, there is a Mouse Guard tabletop game. I have not played it yet. I uh, am hoping to play that one soon. It's hopefully, you know, the creator wouldn't be too upset if he heard this. But I feel like if you're looking for a Redwall RPG system, Mouse Guard is going to fill that void. Uh, also a fantastic series of books. Or I thought you were going to say Wizard of Oz. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> that is just rude, and I will not stand for it. <laughs> I had to get it in at least once. I know it. <laughs> and the last of these introductory questions, um, you might have prepared for this one like Austin did, or maybe you didn't. If you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? <laughs> I uh, I thought about this quite a bit after you asked Austin because I at first was having an existential crisis that I did not know. There's too many options out there, and how mm. am I going to top a koi pond? So I I was panicking over this question at first until I realized that the answer is so simple. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember if I was playing with you and the group or a different group of friends, but I was playing TKO, one of the Jackbox games, once. And unfortunately, the best shirt in the world was created, but the servers crashed and we couldn't <laughs> save it. The shirt was a very poorly drawn snake, you know, basically a green noodle with, with googly eyes and a small tongue. And underneath it said, man, I am not a person. <laughs> <laughs> and I so want that on a shirt. It was just perfect, perfect lazy day shirt. I would wear it all the time. Uh, Jackbox, your servers have failed me. Some of our most fun moments outside of D&D &D involved Jackbox. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, you know, all of the drawing games have been fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think the TKO has been my favorite, but we have had a lot of fun moments with all of those, even the most recent ones. Mm -hmm. Figuring out, apparently I'm really good at Madverse City. Oh my god, I don't know. <laughs> Ryan, you conquer everyone in that game. It's ridiculous. Um, and we found out, I think, that I was really bad at Madverse City. <laughs> I kept losing to Gene, the robot. <laughs> I'm sorry, the, the only human, actually. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, we have had a lot of great times playing Jackbox and just playing other board games and hanging out. And I think that's part of what I love about this group is that it's not all let's sit down and play and get serious. Um, it's a lot of craziness while we're playing and it's a lot of just um, hanging out and playing other games when we're not focused on a, a huge campaign like that. All right. So jumping into uh, questions kind of more specific to you and our time playing playing together, um, I have to start out with an apology. And this will lead into us talking about Kaltarian and how Moe's campaign ended. But that last session mm -hmm. was, in retrospect, awesome. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was cool. It was fun. It was nothing that we had expected. Right. It 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 was one of those D and D moments that I will remember and cherish for the rest of my life. But yeah. in the moment, I was the saltiest I have I ever been over D&D. Yeah. And I have to apologize because for a little bit I blamed you and it wasn't your fault. So I just, to give my two cents on this last session, because I agree with what you're saying, you were very salty mm-hmm. <laughs> for a while. And the pieces were all there, all jumbled up. And none of us, not even the the you know, players in this game could have predicted how that would turn out. And I know why you would blame me, because it felt like Coltarian was the one stabbing Cromwell in the back. Mm-hmm. I was the main... I can't say I was the main villain because we were going to fight basically Tiamat, uh, but I was the main turncoat. In my defense, Coltarian had a character arc. She had a trajectory. After that battle in the mountain, she turns lawful evil. What a lot of you didn't realize afterwards was at one point we fought some mind flayers. Uh, One of them had a necklace that was very clearly a phylactery or something like it. Mo mentioned that out loud to the whole group. I snatched it and no one ever questioned it again. And here's where I say that it's a little disappointing sometimes that as players, we don't ask enough questions about each other's characters uh, because that necklace it was kind of a, a semi-functioning phylactery and using it Coltarian realized that when she touched it to someone we had just killed it would entrap their soul and she would be able to talk to that person well shortly thereafter we started running into a lot of the big bads of the campaign we started running into you know these people that had been terrorizing us from the start Halak and or Halazar and you know some of the dragons and people Coltarian was evil at this point and she just wanted power in her mind the way to right the wrongs that she had seen happening around her would be essentially to create a dictatorship so she used that phylactery she started stealing the souls of these evil people and they started whispering to her and by the end of the campaign she was so far gone that what mo and i had planned was that as a group we would face basically Tiamat and uh, we would have this huge epic heroic battle and after the battle when everyone was out of spell slots and down on health and whatever and Coltarian had only been half-assing this fight then I would turn around and I would stab you all in the back and no matter how easy we knew that it would be for all of you together to take down Coltarian we had hoped that it would be kind of a lasting memory that by the end of this campaign, no matter how heroic we had been and how we had saved the world from the dragons and all of this, you couldn't save your friend after some of the crimes we had committed. Mm-hmm. Now, what I didn't realize going into that last session was that a couple of the characters with us, they really did not have the allegiance we thought they did. Well, first of all, there was Austin's character who had no reason really to care who was in control here. Um, <laughs> and and basically was like, sure, why not let Tiamat run everything? That's that's easy, right? I think he wanted to make a deal. Yeah, and additionally, and, <laughs> he was a kobold. So. Yes, yeah. So, so playing a kobold who's like, sure, that sounds fine to me. And then Kyle's paladin, who... Yep. Um, 
and it was a good idea, you know, and and I feel like none of us realized the other things that were in play because if those two had realized that, you know, Coltarian was going to turn on everyone, maybe they would have helped more. If Coltarian had realized that the paladin was going to do what he did, maybe she would have acted differently. You know, if we had done things differently way back when, uh, you know, months ago in the mountain, then if Coltarian had ended up on the good trajectory instead of the evil one that she had, you know, been brought down to, that could have ended very differently. And so I know why all of you would have blamed Coltarian because she was the most, she could have helped, but she actively chose not to. No, the paladin just had a lapse in judgment. The the mm. kobold, that was kind of to be expected, but Coltarian, Coltarian, to all of your minds, because you didn't know how she was facing these inner demons, should not have betrayed you like that. So I get it. And honestly, part of it was, it was a moment where for a split, second and by a split second i mean an entire session <laughs> i forgot that i wasn't cromwell i forgot that my name was ryan howard yeah and i was 23 years old and not a world weary right ranger who had made several mistakes in his life and was desperately trying to redeem himself i know and i i felt bad <laughs> i mean Mo and I had planned this for Coltarian for a very long time, mm -hmm. but I think even have had things gone according to plan and had we had that epic battle and then I turned around and betrayed you, I think I still would have felt bad because as a friend, <laughs> I knew how much this was going to hurt not only Cromwell, but hurt you because <laughs> you get so into character. <laughs> Which is fantastic. I love that. But mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that I think during that section session, I was actively sitting there like, guys, I'm very sorry. I can't <laughs> not do this. Mm -hmm. But I am so sorry. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, as my... Uh... As my current players are figuring out, um, I am a very emotional D&D &D player. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. Um, it, it really, it draws the others into the game too, which I think was, it's awesome to have someone like that at the table because you get so into character and it makes it feel like it comes to life at that point. And it encourages everyone else at the table to also go all in on their characters. So without you there as Cromwell from the start, I might not have gotten as into it with Coltarian, you know, I, or I might have spent a lot longer being shy about it and and she might have not had those early warning signs like the magic shop and everything else because I would have been too timid to speak up, you know, or, or too, when there's not that much energy at the table, you, you don't seek out, you know, just the crazy shenanigans like that. So I think it really was great to have that at the table. I'm sorry as well for that last <laughs> session. I'm sorry. And I knew going in that I was going to be sorry, but I couldn't not do it. <laughs> right. And uh, I mean, kind of, kind of switching gears here, um, talking about your current campaign, you, you already mentioned some of the uh, ideas that you had going into it. Um, how has that kind of evolved or devolved since I've left the table? So it's it's evolved interestingly. I'd say there's there was a whole world fleshed out in those months before I started running it. You guys knew that I spent a long time preparing things like that, but out of 
the whole preparation that I had done, I think there were really three core ideas, just whether it was mechanically, mostly mechanically, that I wanted to bring into this game. And then there was the overarching idea for flavor that what I wanted was to bring you guys back that sense of wonder when you first start your first campaign. You know, by this time, most of the people in our group were all DMs. We DM our own games. We take turns DMing for each other. We do one shots. Um, By this time, all of us knew the stats for the monsters, all of us knew what the magic items were. All of us knew what you could do with this and this and this. And I felt like it was getting stale. Mm -hmm. So the first idea I had, I wanted to start off a game where all of you were bound by some connection in the past, but you didn't know what it was. And I wanted to see, you know, I feel as a DM, I feel like it's the player's responsibility to figure out why you're a party, why you're together. I wanted to see how you guys would interpret this. I wanted to see, you know, obviously all of you have this brand on your chest. You're all going to stay together and and find out what happened. But how are you going to feel about each other? How are you as players only having the limited backstory that you know? How are you going to handle this? And that, they basically know uh, parts of what happened by now. They found out a little more through traversing the world and and exploring. Uh, The bard has speak with dead, which has been the bane of my existence. Um, He he keeps finding dead bodies that I just... I feel like those writers who say, you know, I really don't know what my character's going to do. I just write faithful to the character and we see what happens. And that's how I DM. I just DM faithful to what would have happened in the world. I don't fudge, you know, oh, well, I can't have you discovering that yet. I'm going to move it over here, hide it behind a mountain or something. (laughs) I don't do that. So they've done a lot of things that surprised me about the world. And I love that. Uh, The second idea I had, which came up right as you were leaving the group, and which I felt bad about, by the way, uh, was a monster, a homebrew monster that I found online called a false hydra. It's horrifying. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing that this monster does, two main things, it it constantly sings a siren song that causes you to not notice its presence. And so this monster is, it's more than just invisibility. You don't notice it. You don't realize it's there. You could be staring it in the face and not have any idea. And the second thing that it does is when it eats somebody, it erases all memory of their existence. I had seen kind of a cool uh, story from this online, and I wish I knew who to credit with it. But the story was that their party had been adventuring for a very long time. They came to a town with this false hydra living in it, and eventually they were able to find out what was going on and what was causing these disappearances around town. Although no one could remember the people that were disappearing, they saw the signs of it. Uh, You know, a a woman might wake up one day and find that there's men's clothes in her closet, but she doesn't remember having a husband. She doesn't remember who he is. And the party was able to find it out, kill this monster. And after they killed it, they found out that they used to have another party member and the monster had eaten this person and this person was gone now. Well, I saw that idea and I thought, man, That's really cool. I want to use it to bring another character into the campaign, though. I wonder what would happen if 
the false hydra had eaten one of your party members and then we resurrected them and when we resurrected them they remembered all of you and all the adventures you had been through but you didn't remember them and to that end neil i have to say thank you uh, because he actually listened in to every session that we played i gave him updates in between sessions i explained to him what was going on he actually had input on the sessions. He played a character in the shadows for the whole game that would, you know, maybe you didn't have quite enough coin in the shopkeeper. Well, don't worry. His character's got you. He's going to cover for you. You don't remember why the shopkeeper gave it to you and, and didn't seem to take all of the coin they asked for. But, but hey, you've got your item now. And he would heal you in combat, and, and he would attack the monsters and everything else. And none of you knew. And I, I have to say, with this monster that I had planned, I wanted it to be such a big thing. And with you moving, I felt like the pressure was on that you would need to run into this monster before you left. Because I wanted you to enjoy this occasion, too. But I was so, so worried that the final session for your character, for Tiwin, that he was going to get eaten by this false hydra. And that as your last session with our group, that I would have to tell all the other players, I'm sorry, you have to forget him now. Because if any of you had died to the false hydra, that was it. You would have to forget them. <laughs> no better gaming, guys. He's gone now. Um, so I was very, very worried leading up to that. And I think I texted you frantically a couple of times and I was like, Ryan, Ryan, I'm sorry, but is it okay if Tiwin dies like tragically, like really tragically? Is that going to be okay? <laughs> and fortunately, it ended up not happening. Uh, but that has actually evolved pretty well. Neil's character is now a pretty solid part of the group. And occasionally gives those throwbacks to, like, you guys don't remember when I was there with you and we did this. And they're all, no, oh, we don't remember you being there. Well, Zeke was there the whole time. Uh, so that one has evolved according to my expectations. I was a little worried for a bit, but it's done well. The third idea I had, I can't say too much on because the group has not run into it yet. They've not done much with that idea yet. And it's going to come up in the future. And I, I hope that it's going to be as much of a, a kind of mind-blowing whammy to them as the False Hydra was. So that I'm excited for, but I'll have to keep it under wraps for now. What did they see in that dungeon in the mountains that caused them to run? Uh, oh, <laughs> So, um, your last session, we were at a town at the foot of the mountains. They killed the false hydra, saved the day, and Tiwin stayed in that town as a blacksmith, living on as an NPC. They climbed up into this mountain. They had been sent on a mission to delve into this ancient dwarf city and find the artifact, the magical item at the bottom of the city, or... Uh, in the words, I think, of the quest giver, find, bring me the treasure at the bottom of the mountain and all of your memories along the way. And when they went into this mountain, uh, they found that there were many entrances to the city. The one entrance that they chose to take was um, actually a large gate in a valley which was overlooked by another small town. The small town that was overlooking this valley was desolate. Um, 
and they saw the telltale signs that there was a false hydra living here as well. They decided to ignore that one because it wasn't actively trying to eat them. Bad decision, guys. <laughs> they instead went down into the valley, went into the mountain, and what they found there was uh, the apparent signs that someone is building an orc army. But it doesn't stop there. Uh, the first few rooms that they went into, they found, you know, barracks and, and larders and pantries and uh, kennels for the wargs that these orcs ride on, all of that. And I have to say, they were getting a little bit big for their britches at that point. They went into the first few rooms and literally they would walk into a room and I would describe the room and say, you know, there's, there's like four orcs in here. This is where they're doing all that. And they decided, this is not enough of a challenge. We don't want four orcs. And so the bard would talk them out of a fight. The orcs didn't know who they were, so had no reason, really, to fight them. Um, so the bard talked them out of every encounter, and I think that happened for four or five rooms straight, where they walked into the room, they decided it was not enough of a challenge for these obvious heroes, and they talked their way out of it and left. Finally, they went into a room that was the mess hall, of the orcs. Uh, I think there were something like 50 orcs in this room. Granted, they were all low level. These were just the grunts, you know, the, the front line, uh, really expendable orcs. And they decided, yeah, 50 orcs is worthy of this party. <laughs> so they threw some fireballs, some polymorphs, what have you, and they, they actually killed these 50 orcs. And uh, we ended the session there, and let me tell you, they fucking rode that high. They felt like they were on top of the world. Nothing could bring them down because, hey, the six of us just killed 50 orcs. I was like, that's cool, guys. That's, that's cool. But I hope you know that there's a lot more going on in this mountain. So the next session, they're still riding the high. Uh, they still think that they are obviously unstoppable. They go into the next room and they find an orc chieftain. Uh, now he's got plans and he looks like he's, you know, in a hurry and whatever. They actually killed him fairly easily and decided, well, we're not even going to bother scouting now. We're just going into the next room and we're tearing this mountain apart. So they went into the next room, which was a meeting room. And what because they weren't scouting, they had no idea of knowing at the time was the people building this army were um, were on a different continent and were communicating to the generals of this army in this mountain, one of which they had just killed, uh, the other five of which were in this room. Um, and that group included two more orc chieftains, uh, which they obviously were not worried about, and then three, count them three, uh, star spawn seers. Yeah, so when I like to mm. throw horror at this group, which is often because I think it's been really working wonders, um, I go to Mordekainen's Tome of Foes and I look up the star spawn monsters because they are fun. Um, was it a balanced combat? No. No, I wasn't. But I told you guys going in, I'm not even going to worry about this. Uh, you kill it or you run. Good luck. The world doesn't care what level you are. Uh, so they walked into this room with three of these star spawns. Now, I like to describe these guys because they're they're creepy. They look disgusting and monstrous. Uh, they are actually aberrations. And the seers look humanoid-ish, uh, but where, you know, their face should be, where their features should be, it is kind of just a mass of 
flesh and skin and no no clear definition or face or anything makes you wonder how they could even be a seer but um ability wise these seers can manipulate space in a way uh, they can walk through you and do damage simply by using their movement speed. They can collapse the air around you, teleporting you away from them and damaging everyone nearby. And by the way, it was quite a lot of damage for the level that this group was. Uh, they can teleport and trade places with another star spawn nearby if you damage them, uh, which really didn't get to feature in that fight. But the, the point is that they had a lot of abilities that were scary and that did quite a lot of damage for the level. And going into this, the, the group thought they were unstoppable. They thought that there was nothing in this mountain full of orcs that could scare them. And then they ran into the guys controlling the orcs uh, because we, we don't trust all of our leadership to just orcs. Oh, no. Uh, they saw the three of these seers. They had faced one seer previously, and it was actually a fairly easy fight for them when they faced the one. So I guess they thought that three of them plus two orcs would be no big deal. Uh, what they didn't count on was that they were out of spell slots. Uh, they had really nothing else available to them. They didn't have like magic items or anything else that they could really rely on at that point. And I think that they didn't remember some of the abilities that these guys could do. So throughout the course of this fight, they pretty much got their asses handed to them. The barbarian went down, the sorcerer almost went down, or the wizard, I believe. Um, there was quite a lot of, guys, we have to get out of here. We're not going to survive this. This will be a TPK. We need to get out of here. And I'm pretty proud as a DM that this is the first time and last that I've ever seen this group turn and run from anything. Uh, but what they didn't realize now is that they turned, they ran, they did not stop running until they had left the mountain, crossed the valley, and gone back to the town that they were in before. Oh, remember that false hydra living in that town? Well, all the orcs uh, that were nearby that could be summoned chased them out of the mountain. The false hydra ate them all. Oh, and uh, for every creature that it eats, it has a chance to grow another head. So at this point, they've uh, they've realized that weeks later, and they've just decided we're never going back to that mountain ever. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna come back to that continent at some point. It's gonna be completely oh. overrun with orcs. <laughs> Tewin's dead. Oh my god. <laughs> they uh, yeah, they actually just decided after that that they were going to do anything and everything they could to get as far away as possible. Uh, they've now taken to uh, adventuring and questing on the other side of the world in a parallel universe. <laughs> so it, I guess it wasn't so much, it was a combination of the monsters that were in the mountain were very scary. The monsters outside the mountain were very scary. I let them get confident, and then I shattered that confidence. <laughs> and uh, without Tewin there to say, hey guys, maybe we should make camp somewhere and take a long rest before we just go running into random rooms, you know? It was easy. <laughs> now, I probably should have asked this question uh when when he was on the podcast, but I'm going to make this a thing for all of the group members who come on. <laughs> Ashley, what is your favorite Austin moment in all of our time <laughs> playing together? Oh, oh man. Uh, oh, gosh. 
there's there's a lot of Austin moments. There's a lot of Austin characters. Um, and I know sometimes we've all been sitting there just shaking our heads or saying, oh my god, Austin, could you just chill? Uh, my favorite at the moment is the character he created for my campaign uh, and the moments that have come from it. Going into this campaign, I told everyone, it's pretty high magic, you know, uh, this is kind of the way the world works, and just create a character that you'll have fun with. And Austin said, oh boy, I'm going to play a character for a whole campaign this time instead of switching characters ten times. And we all said, yes, that's very cool, you should try to do that every time. (laughs) Uh, So the character he created, as a total departure from his crazy characters of the past, was a skeleton bard who had who was not a human previously. He had been turned into a skeleton from a chair. And I don't want to reveal too much else about his character, you know. um, Everyone else can give their opinions because I, as the DM, know a little more. But um, he sent me this idea, like, hey, hey, I want to play a chair that got turned into a skeleton. And now now he, like, adventures? And I'm like, cool, cool, yeah, so uh, a skeleton, you say? Yeah, so I'm going to make you a bard who plays the xylophone and the bongos and the castanets. (laughs) because I want this to be a serious campaign, obviously. (laughs) Um, And I know some of the other players have, at points in the campaign, been like, oh my god, this is such a typical Austin character. I can't believe, like, this... Why would you allow a skeleton made from a chair to be a bard? This is ridiculous, right? This is ridiculous. My favorite thing about it, my favorite Austin moment, I think all stems from this one session uh, where you guys had come to a port city and throughout your time in the city, you learned that teleportation circles are really not a huge thing in this world. Um, Instead, the big thing here is there's what people refer to as like warp chairs. Uh, These are, they're chairs that essentially operate on a train schedule. And they teleport you from one chair to another. So, you know, sit in the chair in City A between 5 and 8 o'clock and you will suddenly appear in the chair in City B at the same time, right? So it'll teleport you between these two chairs. Uh, And my favorite Austin moment was when he went to me and said, Hey DM, so I was a chair before a skeleton. Was I one of these warp chairs? And just, uh, I think the immediate reaction was half the table rolled their eyes and I, I went, yes, yes, you can. (laughs) That is perfect. I love it. I don't care how ridiculous it is. And it has actually spawned quite a lot of really good plot hooks and story points. Thanks, (laughs) Austin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I know some of the other players are just like, are you are you kidding me? Like, like my human, my elf, my, you know, whatever is, is, you know, just here for the ride. But this stupid skeleton chair, he is a warp chair now. Like what? But uh, it's, it's by far been my favorite. It's just added so much to the campaign and so much that they haven't discovered yet. The funny thing about this, um, I will give my favorite Austin moment. I think I actually know what his, favorite Austin moment was, though, and it was not a typical Austin moment. Oh, which one? I think his favorite Austin moment might have been the duel with the vampire. You might, you might be right there. 
Yeah. Or his favorite Austin moment uh, might have been when he resurrected Alistair and put him in an oven. Yep. For the lulls. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, that duel with the vampire actually was... I think you're right. I think that would be his favorite just based on how silly it was, how creative it was, and the way that it panned out. Uh, mm-hmm. Because... You know, this vampire had plagued us for a while. We, I think we were tasked with getting him out of the city or out of that district. The dragon didn't want him there. And um, we snuck into his house and Austin found the deed, tore the part with his signature off, and then casted Mending to just have clean paper and signed his name to it. And then the vampire could not get back in his own house. And so he came to the house and was standing outside trying to pick a fight, and Austin just comes to the the window, I think. He didn't even come to the door. I think he just walked up to, like, the window and casted casted banishment on him, didn't he? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, he casted banishment, but then when he came back, he did divine intervention to banish him forever. Yeah, that 10 out of 10, that was a really good Austin moment. If it weren't for Mm -hmm. me enjoying so thoroughly how his current character is so ridiculous but still fits in with my world. That is a close second Austin moment. So that's a good one. The two that really come to mind for me, though, one of them is the first one, mm-hmm. where where his, his barbarian, his short-lived barbarian dwarf who was raised by bears, Bareth. Yeah, I miss Bareth. <laughs> somehow talked a couple of guards into going with him to a bar. He drank <laughs> milk. Yep. And and the two guard he got drunk the, the two guards got drunk and Bareth just sat there and talked to them while they got drunk and because of this we were able to sneak into wherever it was we were going yeah yeah that was actually fantastic um, that was like kind of our introduction to him as a player and all of us were just like are you kidding me like this is gold. <laughs> this is great. And then he got rid of Barith because barbarians are not fun, as like three right. of us have learned now. Um, <laughs> but he will always have a place in our hearts. Uh, and so I'm hoping that your second moment is the one that I'm thinking of. So my second moment is actually, it's the same character that we were just talking about, BT, uh, the cleric. Oh, I've got some moments with BT. <laughs> it's it was right after uh, Cromwell and Kaltarian had broken up. Mm-hmm. Cromwell goes to the temple of BT's god, who at some point had basically started a drug smuggling operation, as one does, mm-hmm. because he was the god of calm storms. Yeah. So there was a lot of like tranquility and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it devolved into this temple distributes psychedelics, <laughs> and then Cromwell and BT got high together. That was that was actually a really good character moment. I feel like mm-hmm. for both of you. Yep. Uh, I feel like that was a really big moment where BT and Cromwell bonded. And I wonder if that moment right after Cromwell and Coltarian had broken up and you bonded with BT is the reason why when BT died and had actually left a will for all of his items to go to each character, he completely snubbed Coltarian. <laughs> it was just like, I flat out do not leave you anything in my will. 
Now it's just like, I can't believe this. I thought we were friends. No, we've never talked. Okay, that's fair. That's This is why you talk to your party members. But um, that, as far as uh, just interplay between characters, was one of my favorite moments for Kotarian and BT was the fact that because of the way we had always acted around each other, even though he made a will, and I felt like parts of the will were just, you know, I've never really talked to this particular person, but I leave you like my, my weapon or whatever. Uh, no, it was just Kotarian, you get nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew Austin as a player didn't mean that, but he and I both thought it was hilarious. Uh, what what I was thinking for the second moment, it's more of a, a character of his, uh, but I feel like just based on what our group name is now and has been for so long, that anyone who mentions Austin moments can't not mention Bron Bronzebeard of the Bronzebeard Lantern Company. Absolutely. And the way that he works himself into all of our games and all of our campaigns, he's like this entity at this point yeah. that shows up everywhere. Um, and that I think in one campaign basically was our damnation and in the other campaign saved us all at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a character that just evolved far beyond what I thought, think that Austin ever expected and well beyond what any of us ever expected. But, oh my God, that was some crazy role play between you and Austin. <laughs> <laughs> Austin, I don't think, I think Austin and I talked a little bit about Bron Bronzebeard, <laughs> um, but just just as a recap, Bron Bronzebeard of the Bronzebeard Lantern Company was perhaps the most loathsome character yeah. ever brought to my table. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Austin did it marvelously. It was so beautiful at the time because we were we were alternating weeks between your campaign, which was the prequel, which took took place in the early days of Cromwell's life. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, at, at the same time, we were about halfway through Moe's campaign, which was, you know, older, more serious Cromwell and, and the events that happened later on in his life. And it was so beautiful that Austin created Bron Bronzebeard for your campaign, for the prequel. And mm-hmm. he became easily the most hated character at the time. Um, yeah. He was just, he was so, you can't even say that he was vile or anything like that. It was just, oh my God, this dude. Um, every time we would talk to someone, he's like, Bron Bronzebeard, the Bronzebeard Lantern Company, tried to sell them lanterns. Um, I think he even snubbed like torches and things. He was like, no, lanterns are where it's at, right? Very in character. And uh, it's possible, I guess, in your prequel campaign, I don't quite remember if Bronn and Cromwell ever actually met, but I think they did. Uh, Because Cromwell was an NPC, obviously, in the prequel and had shown up a few times, as well as various family members of his. So I think that at one point Cromwell was actually with us and had met Bronn. Um, and Bron basically betrayed us, straight up betrayed us, and left the group, and Austin brought in a new character, and all of us thought, having played, you know, half of Moe's campaign with him, typical Austin, like, that character, all right, might become an evil NPC now, who knows, maybe he'll never show up again. What we didn't expect was that the ripples coming off of this event in Moe's campaign, suddenly we went back to Cromwell's home city. And in that city, we found that after the events of your prequel campaign, and at that point, we didn't know what the events were. 
Uh, we had no way of knowing when we went back to the city what would find. And I guess Mo was tasked with trying to predict what it might look like. And what he came up with was that Braun, after the events of your campaign, had eventually taken over that city in some small way and <laughs> and turned it into like this lantern corporation. It was ridiculous. It was crazy. And all of us thought at that point, oh my God, it's Braun. Like, you, you're kidding me. He's back and he's evil. And we didn't manage to kill him. He escaped us. I, like it was crazy. It was it was just this mad event. And then later on, all of us thought again, like, haha, Bronze gone out of Ryan's campaign. He's had his appearance in Moe's campaign. That's that's it, right? That's it. And the very last session of Moe's campaign, what should happen? But <laughs> half the party betrays each other. The remaining half realizes that there's no way that they could ever defeat Tiamat and their party members, and save the world. And who should contact Cromwell? What? Oh, you know, a few decades after they had originally met, and the last run-in they had together was uh, trying to fight each other. Ron Bronzebeard sends a message <laughs> to Cromwell and says, I have a wish. I can save you. But what do you really want? Like, do you, do you want me to destroy this world and everything in it, or do you want me to try to save part of the world? And I, I remember that that was a hard decision for you as a, as a player and as a character. Mm -hmm. And I think quite a few of us thought that it was so cool the way, and so infuriating, the way that Bronn had shown up in your campaign. We thought he was just a one-off Austin character. He betrayed the group, as like a good amount of his characters do. <laughs> he showed up as a villain in a separate campaign later on. And then out of the blue, he saves the world. Purely, I think, because of... I, I don't know if it was he felt he owed something to Cromwell or just because he could at that point. And it's it's ridiculous. And I feel like it's expected now that it's just a matter of time before Braun shows up in my campaign because he's everywhere. <laughs> mm. Yeah, at that point, it was literally... Braun wanted to essentially ascend to godhood and become like the god of commerce. Yeah, that's okay. And so he said, like, okay, I, his his lone stipulation for creating a new world is I control the money system. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Money based on lanterns, you say. <laughs> yep. Uh, but he got his way, and it was it was a wild ride with Bronn. Uh, so that was a character that I feel like we didn't even get to know him very well as a party, but the the time that we did have with him just keeps having ripple effects in in these mm. different worlds, and that's that's pretty impressive to do as a player. And uh, as we as we wrap up here, there's. One person in the party who is now DMing for you guys that I, I unfortunately never got to play a session with him as the DM. So I just have to ask, how is Joe doing as a dungeon master? I think Joe's doing really well. Uh, I think that he did it smarter than I did the first time. You know, he's he's actually running Storm King's Thunder, which is great because I had played the beginning, but like I said, I never got to finish this one. Um, and this time around, I'm playing it with a different character. It's a different group. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but you know Joe. Joe's got his uh, his his traits and his flaws, right? So mm -hmm. So Joe started off with our group as... 
one of my favorite characters, Davrin the Wild Magic Sorcerer. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know why I say he's one of my favorite, because he killed Kotarian at least twice and would counterspell me anytime we had a fight, that bitch. Um, <laughs> but, but honestly, we should have known at the time. He started off as a wild magic sorcerer, and I think one of his biggest loves with that character was wild magic surges. And that's translated into him as a DM. <laughs> uh, because we, we're playing Storm King's Thunder, you know, per the book, it's, it's going great, except since so many people in our group are DMs, and, and we know all the behind-the-scenes stuff, if you really want to wow our group, you gotta, you gotta do things a little differently. You have to, you know, throw things in there that work a little differently, or, or that add a little interest to it, which is how my whole campaign started, but that's a different story. And with Joe, he's tested out a few different things uh, to make the game run a little smoother, make it run a little differently. I think a lot of them have been good ideas. He's been very good about saying, you know, I think this idea is not working. We're going to get rid of that. Or I saw this and it looks really cool. We're going to try that. One of the things that he's been doing is playing with the rules of wild magic. Because uh, we have a wild magic sorcerer in our party. It's Austin. <laughs> uh, so, so right off the bat, you know, this is going well. And because of the rules that Joe's implemented and the way that Austin is and the way that Joe is, it's uh, where, you know, not that far into this campaign at this point. And it has just uh, gone completely off the rails. Uh, it's been fun. It's been really fun. But... On the road from, you know, our little starting area kind of of Nightstone, the little small town, we've been traveling to Waterdeep, which if you know the setting, uh, is, a, is a larger town kind of on the coast uh, with like a river. And as we were approaching Waterdeep, there were quite a few wild magic surges, which caused a tsunami to hit Waterdeep and flood the whole city, which I think... As far as if you like to remain true to uh, the, the pre-written campaigns was horrible because all of our quests were in the city. All the people we needed to talk to were in the city. You know, everything was, we were going to go to Waterdeep. This is kind of uh, when you're in an MMO, say, and you start off in the little village, the little starting area, do the tutorial, and then you head into the big city, which is your main hub. This was Waterdeep. So, you know, we just destroyed a main hub. Um, <laughs> because Joe loves wild magic and Austin loves craziness. Our group is so chaotic. But <laughs> um, but he handled it really well. DMing, uh, he, he basically kind of, he laughed. He told us about it. We ended the session. And the next session, he came back ready to go with a plot line that would kind of keep us occupied and entertained for a session or, or a couple of sessions while basically the DM picked up the pieces of this quest hub, you know? Um, there were other wild surges that happened around the same time, by the way. The the main castle of Waterdeep got teleported to the other side of the city. Um, quite a few other things happened that could have completely derailed the campaign, could have stressed him out a lot, could have messed up a lot of things. But I think he's already doing better than I did my first time in two ways. He didn't make it too hard on himself to start off with. He stuck with a pre-made module and then he added in things that he knows. And he knows wild magic because he's played that character 
Um, and he has kept himself very flexible with what happens and what we're going to do about it. And he's not been afraid to speak up about what he thinks is working, what he thinks is not working, what we're going to change going forward. Uh, and he, and he's just been very kind of forward thinking with all of that. And you need to, if you're deeming for the first time, I think you and I kind of both learned on our own, but you need to be flexible with a lot of that. And you need to not be prepared in that you have every little detail of the world written out, but you need to be prepared for things to go wrong and what you're going to do to fix it. And you need to be able to just talk to your group. And I, mm-hmm. I think it's a little easier for Joe because, you know, all of us at this point have known each other for years and have no problems talking to each other. Uh, but he's still doing really well in that regard. Absolutely. I someday I hope while I'm back there, I'm I'm able to be in one of the games that Joe DMs. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a wild ride, but I really like his style and everything. I, I think it's good. And when we bring him on the show, he he's currently and I don't know how actively he's working on this, but he at one point floated the idea of a fifth edition campaign, but set during uh, the Aztec Empire, or right as the Aztecs were falling. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he mentioned, and this, this too, this is how much smarter than me he is. He mentioned it first. He wanted to DM a campaign. He wanted to set it kind of in this Aztec-esque land. I think it's going to be a little different, um, but it's, it's going to have a lot of those motifs and everything. And all of us were super excited for it and joe loving the kind of wild out there chaotic stuff that he does he really wanted to allow all the all those crazy races and all this other stuff and and just let us go wild with it and it was a fantastic idea i think it's still on the table because what he said at the time was well to kind of get his feet wet with dming uh he wants to run through a pre-made module first which is why he decided on Storm King's Thunder. Uh, And after we wrap up this campaign, I think then what's on the horizon next is he he does want to run that kind of Aztec campaign, which Mm -hmm. still very excited for. Um, I was even thinking I might write up a whole new character for it. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, I, I was perusing some social media platform and i found out that during the very early days of spanish occupation of mexico when the spanish had first taken over and the aztecs were around but very fractured Mm -hmm. uh the japanese were actually sending emissaries to i believe the holy roman empire and they would go via mexico Hmm. and so there were samurais that that would visit the Spanish and the Aztecs. Oh wow! And a whole bunch of them stayed. Them? So right at the same time, there's the Spanish viceroyalty of New Spain, the remnants of the Aztec Empire, and samurais. Yeah, that can make for a very interesting setting, a very interesting party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, uh, and, that that would be really cool. Yeah. And I I sent him that information. He he found that very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hoping that if he does run that one, you'll be able to to sit at the table with us again. Um, or even if we all play online, if you'll be able to be part of the group again, that would be really fun, I think, to play in Joe's campaign and have 
you know, like Severin and, and all kinds of other like influences and elements. Um, that plus all of the things that he said he was allowing as far as, you know, different races, stuff from different rule books, all of that. I think it would be a very interesting campaign. And it felt like it was going to be a very interesting mashup of like, you know, in a normal D&D setting or a normal campaign, you tend to get a party that's, you know, maybe a dwarf or a halfling, some elves, some humans, uh, maybe like a tiefling or two. But this felt like it was really going to be a campaign where everybody was so different that I felt like it was going to be a how do we all bring this together and work together. And I like having that kind of motivation as a party for all of us to figure out what we have in common and what we can do together. Ashley, it has been a lot of fun talking to you on the podcast, reliving all of these moments (laughs) and catching up with you about your campaign and Joe's campaign. Before we before we sign off here, is there anything you want to promote Anything like that? I don't have a whole lot to promote myself. Uh, I think if you ask me in a few years, the answer might be different because with the campaign I'm running, I kind of always had the idea that I wanted to compile it into a book similar to like Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica or, or Curse of Strahd or what have you and have it be either a setting that other people could use or a module that you could run your group through. Uh, but for now, I'll just say I've taken a lot of influence from people online, uh, from like DMs Guild, from a lot of the, you know, just forums and subreddits and places where other people are putting their ideas, just like the false hydra and everything else. Uh, I really would like to continue to see people supporting each other in these communities and giving positive feedback as well as um, helping each other make improvements. I won't say constructive criticism because I feel like a lot of people jump to conclusions with that um, feeling like not everyone knows how to give constructive criticism but I really like when I see a post with some good ideas and we're all offering uh, whether it's to go through and spell check it or whether it's to just help with the balance or just taking you know the couple of things that we do well and we can work on and putting our skills together as DMs to bring a little more wonder to the world of tabletop games. My idea for my campaign in the start was because I felt like we had all gotten so used to the way everything worked, there was nothing new left. And I really want to thank all of these communities because I've borrowed a lot from all of you uh, just to give them things that they've never seen before. And I just want to see that tradition continue. You know, I've borrowed things even from my family. I've borrowed, obviously, my parents' characters. I've borrowed NPCs from my family's games. I've borrowed things from my my grandfather's D&D game. And it was something that, that has had a big impact on my life growing up. And I think for those of us who maybe didn't grow up with tabletop or RPGs as such a big part of our childhood or or don't have anyone else close to us who plays, share your ideas and your knowledge with each other. 
so that we can kind of keep it going and, and, and keep it such a pervasive part of tabletops and RPG, just to have these cool ideas. That's that's what we're all really here for. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's It's been great talking to you again. Next week on the show, we're going to have a, a very special guest once again. He is the author of, of Dice and Men, the story of Dungeons and Dragons and the people who play it. He's an editor at Forbes. Uh, he is David Ewalt, and he is coming on to talk about that book he wrote back in 2013. Very gracious. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's been awesome being on the show, Ryan. And, I mean, obviously a lot of our group listens to your podcast, and we very much enjoy talking about the old stories with you and listening to all of the other really cool guests that you've had on the show, by the way. Uh, it's, it's kind of an honor to me and I know to Austin and I'm sure to anyone else from the group that you invite on that we're getting put up there with these big names and, and these really awesome people that you've had on here. Absolutely. And it's it's always great to have you guys on. I hope at some point to have everyone of you guys come on the show and, and talk about our time gaming together. Yeah, I mean, tabletop games and RPGs are a lot of collaborative storytelling. So if you can't sit around and tell the stories with your friends and, and relive them later, then what are you getting from it? Exactly. <laughs> well, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. So until next time, remember, while the rogue may suggest the five-finger discount, you should instead go with the wizard's fire sale. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us on Anchor.fm or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to shout at me on social media, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, I am at Howard underscore Ryan Gregg. And if you like miniatures and miniature painting, you can see all the work that I do on my Instagram, which is at Fenderboy771. Our theme song for Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard is Rumblin' by Trey Van Zant, who you can find at youtube.com slash C slash Trey Van Zant, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 License. Thank you so very much, and have a great day.